Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. I don't know how it is for you guys, but um, it kind of feels like when you get to the end of a year that you're kind of tired of the thing by the time it wears out and gives up. And there's this excitement, it's almost like springtime after the winter, when a new year starts, maybe we're gonna actually do something different this time. (laughs) And I am eager to walk forward from this place with you into uh, a time of deeper devotion to God, a closer following of Him, a, um, a greater passion, a greater reverence, a greater joyful response to the goodness that He displays to us. Um, I am excited right here because this is this is the first time we've met this year, and it's it's we're beginning something. And where we've been until now doesn't have to define where we go from here, amen? So uh, Pastor Drew has been focusing us on the purpose for the church being knowing God and finding freedom, right? Sound familiar? And I just think that it's worth talking about what does it mean to know God, actually? Because that's one of those questions that comes up in evangelistic efforts, right? Do you know God? And what you mean is, have you actually received salvation by entering into a relationship with Jesus? Have Have you... had a cleansing of your sins by his blood. It's, but, but that's all contained in this little word, do you know God? And people might respond, well, I know who he is. But yeah, so is the devil, right? But so it, maybe it's not the best way to approach people when you're trying to find out if they have a relationship with God. If you've got a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. I have an easy time remembering where this one is because it's 3131. And if you've got a heading in your Bible there, it probably says the new covenant. It's good for us to talk about something new here in the new year, I think. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 
I want to talk for just a minute about what sort of historical situation these words were written into. Jeremiah spent his prophetic ministry warning the people of Judah that because of their failure to follow God's standard of righteousness, that he was about to judge them by sending them into exile in Babylon for 70 years. As God's judgments began to fall, Jeremiah's message shifted to proclaiming hope for the future. What sort of hope could he give? In order for there to be a better future, something would have to change, and that something is surely not God. So I want to just read verses 33 and 34 again. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. If I could summarize the change Jeremiah is prophesying, it would be that they really come to know him. I want to spend the rest of our time together explaining what it means to know God. But let's ask God's blessing before we continue. God, we love that you renew your blessings to us day by day and year by year. And we love that you've drawn us into the knowledge of you and that you're longing to draw us deeper into the knowledge of you. I pray that your desires would succeed over us and in us and through us as we pursue the knowledge of God. We ask this for your pleasure and your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does it mean to know God? If you know God, you'll find freedom. But what does it mean to know God? So according to this passage, the law is written on your heart which results in worship and ownership, I would say mutual ownership, that is that we are God's people and he is our God. Mutual ownership and forgiveness of sins. According to this passage, that's the new covenant. And by the way, we live under this covenant. It's not future for us, it's present. It's at least presently available whether or not we're walking in the fullness of it. So, something, in the things that have to change, it's all us, right? It's not him. God doesn't change. So, the trouble with being handed a rule book, which was the former covenant, is that we have this principle of rebellion within us. And if you just give me a rule, that's probably not going to turn out well. Because... I just want to do something different. It's the nature I was born with, and I expect I'm not the only one. 
So the, the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant as regards the heart is the heart had nothing to do with the old covenant. You're handed a rule book and your heart has the freedom to rise up against that and it does. But what if instead of being handed a rule book, your heart was actually molded so that what the law requires, your heart desires? So that you have this new nature that just instinctually wants to please God and has some understanding of the nuts and bolts of how that goes. That would be the law written on your heart. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26. Just going to run over there quickly because it talks about the same thing. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know that the word of God was only written by the finger of God two times, and it was the same words, both on tablets of stone. The first set, Moses threw and broke, and he had to carve a new set so that God could write on them again. And that's how the law is. It's stony, and it's not as helpful as you wish it was. But if God would take that away and instead write the law on your heart, we'd be in a much better position. And that's the new covenant promise. The law written on your hearts. I will put my law within them and write it on their, on their hearts. And the next phrase, and I will be their God. What does this word God even mean? We throw it around, right? It's a really churchy word, or it can be. Unless you're on a job site, right? Then it's something else. What does the word mean? Remember the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? A God is one who is worshipped. Well, what's the difference between your God and somebody else? Your God is the one you worship. And so he keeps using his personal name here. If you see it all in capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's an indication that in the Hebrew, the personal name of God, which might be pronounced Yahweh, or I might be getting that wrong, but you know who I'm talking about. He revealed himself by name to Moses. And he not only reveals his name, he reveals his character. We'll look at that more in Exodus later. But he reveals who he is so that our worship goes to him. When we say God, we don't mean generic deity. We mean the God who's revealed himself in the scriptures. That's who we mean when we use the word God. There are other gods, and not everybody is on the same page as us, right? So, the law says something about God. Let me jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 7. Again, we, we talked about this. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under them. Why not? Because none of the things that exist that you know from your senses are like him. And the minute that you make a picture that's supposed to show what he's like, you got it wrong. There's actually nothing that you can compare our God to. And God says, don't even try it, right? Just don't even try it. So when we know who God is, and it's not by our senses, he's not like a golden calf, he's not like a warrior, he's not like whatever. I, I've been to India, and there are really, really rotten, stupid things that are worshipped everywhere. I, I took a picture once when I was in North India, and you can count 17 different shrines to different gods in that one frame, and none of them is my God. So what do you do when you come to know our God who is spirit? Jesus says in John 4.23, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's the proper response to having some knowledge of God. Worship leads to ownership. If you worship God, he is your God. And the cool thing about that is, if he's your God, he accepts you as his people. Mutual ownership. I think this next point I want to dwell on a little bit further. Um, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Um, no longer shall they teach his neighbor each one shall teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. If you don't know God as a forgiver of your sins, then you don't know God. Because this goes like to the center of who he is. God is perfectly righteous. We cannot enter into fellowship with him if we're still in our sins. We have to be delivered from that if we would hope to have relationship with him because he just, he won't keep company with sin. He's too righteous. He's too holy for that. So the, the first aspect of the forgiveness of sins is, is we just can't have a relationship with him if we're still in our sins. If our sins have not been forgiven, it, he just won't get close to us. Fifth thing, what does it mean to know God? Community. They will all know me. None of you is going to have to take me by the hand and say, now come on up here, brother. Let's just lead you into the real knowledge of God. We'll be on the same level. Won't that be good? This teaching ministry is temporary <laughs> because the time is coming when you won't need it. That's glorious. So I want to go back and lean on this. God makes him know, himself known by forgiving sin. He shows who he is 
It, this is so huge. This is the explanation for why everything is the way that it is. Have you thought much about this? I, I've been looking into the situation that's in, happening in Ethiopia right now, and it's rotten. It's not new. I, I mean, it, things have been going really bad globally for a really long time, but it's, it just hurts to hear the details. You know, the the... Head honcho over there got a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts toward peace in his region of Africa. And now he's setting up concentration camps for the ethnicity that led the opposition against him. Most of them are completely innocent of any subversion. And because there's no safety, because there's no trust, because there's no kindness, People from both sides are committing atrocities against one another. Women getting raped, men getting murdered, people getting locked up and deprived of the necessities of life. It's terrible. And why is it like this? Well, the short answer, we can be in Sunday school for a minute, right? It's sin. Identifying that doesn't fix anything, does it? So, we all believe that God is sovereign, right? That means he can do absolutely anything. So why that? If you don't lay it at his feet and say, you caused this, you at least have to say you let it happen, right? I don't see a way around that with an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. I don't. So what is he up to? Why is everything so broken with an almighty, all-caring, all-loving God? I, I, I'm saying that is how it is. But why? And I propose to you that it's because God wants to be known and that there was no other way to write the story than having sin in the world because God is a forgiver of sin. And if you take sin out of the world, God can only be known hypothetically. You would have no idea who God is if you didn't need grace. You would have no idea who God is if you didn't need mercy. And so it's my view that God looked ahead before he created any of this, and he said, on the one hand, we could have paradise forever, and I would remain a complete mystery, a complete stranger to those who deserve my kindness. Or I could plant this tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and give a choice, which I know how it will go. There's only one way this goes down. Our first parents eat the fruit, and all manner of evil is unleashed into the world. And he foreknew all the suffering, all the evil, all the wretchedness of all the ages, and said, but if out of that would come a people who actually know me, it would be worth it. 
And so I say that knowing God is the whole reason for the, why everything is the way that it is. He's doing something good for you. And he's doing something good for me. And the price tag is huge. And you could get an attitude with God over letting things be the way that they are until you look at the cross. He took wickedness very personally with the Son of God going to the cross and suffering in order to cover over all the wickedness of all the ages. I can't have an attitude towards God for the wickedness of the way that everything is. But I want to respond to him and make it worth it to him by pursuing relationship with him because that's why he lets it be the way that it is. And in his mercy, he's seeking even more people to come into relationship with him and inviting you to be a part of that inviting out of darkness and into light. It is good and it's hard. God makes himself known by forgiving sin. Isaiah 118, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they be as crimson, they shall be as snow. A cleansing. A blood cleansing. The blood of the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is this good? Yeah. Do you want to watch? No? But Jesus said it's like this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the way it worked in the wilderness is if you look at the bronze serpent, you'll live. You have to look at Jesus with eyes of faith. And you don't want to because this is not a nice vision but it's life-giving. He is life-giving. In Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21, the angel's talking to Joseph, and he's instructing him, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 26 It would be silly to talk about the new covenant and not look at it. Verse 28. Jesus is having a final Passover with his disciples. And he says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He's about to go to the cross, and he knows it. And he says, that covenant that we looked at in Jeremiah 31, he's getting ready to make it a reality. And the cross is the, necess the necessity to make the new covenant a reality. And he says to us, as often as you drink that in remembrance of him, remember, remember, it's the new covenant he made knowing God a thing. It, it really wasn't before. 
I mean, there was a few, but there was never a company like we are. There was never a company that knew God before he paid for the covenant with his own blood. Let's go a little further. Chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was it? Because he was bearing the sins of the whole world, yours and mine and all the rest. And God will not and cannot keep covenant with sin. For those hours, he was bearing what was not his, sin. And for those brief hours, God did turn his face from him. And it was the worst thing that Jesus had ever experienced. Worse than having nails driven through your hands and your feet. Worse than a crown of thorns being beaten onto your head. Worse than the cursing. Worse than the scourging was being cut off from the presence of the Father. He'd never known alienation from God. And he did it so that we could know him. He was cut off so that we could be drawn near. Is that good? Is that hard? Altogether, all at once, yes it is. Ephesians 1 7. In him, that is Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him, in Jesus, who God is, is demonstrated by what he does. I do want to go back to Exodus 34 now because it's, it's such a great picture of the name of God being declared along with the character of God. And it's God doing it. Um, oh, that's 24. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What's that? It's a declaration of his name accompanied by an explanation for the heart of who he is. And the heart of who he is is merciful and forgiving, gracious. Aren't you glad? So what you see with the name and character is you see Jesus making a, 
an open display of what God is like. God is one who's perfectly innocent of all wrong and perfectly willing to subject himself to the suffering that is due to us for that. That's who he is. And if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, you wouldn't know God. It's not just that you wouldn't have your sins covered, you wouldn't see who he is. There's a big difference between being inclined toward kindness and being able to undergo agony, torture, and death for the sake of kindness. But that's who our God is. God makes himself known in the act of covering sin. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve made that first trespass. They took the forbidden fruit. And first thing, they recognized they were naked, right? Something has gone wrong. <laughs> we were fine before, and now we're not fine. And they did what they could. They, they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. And it wasn't fine. This is not an adequate covering. And after God had confronted them in their sin, he killed animals and skinned them and made clothes for them. In order for their inadequacy because of their sin to be covered, there had to be a death. There had to be the shedding of blood. It was a picture of what would come later. Psalm 32 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count iniquity and is in whose spirit is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I said, I will confess my iniquity to the Lord. I confessed my iniquity, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you see that? When we sin and just keep it to ourselves, we suffer for that. And 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how he is. We come clean and he comes near. It says in John chapter 1 that the law came through Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. First came Moses and after Moses came Joshua, right? The name Jesus is the same name as Joshua. He was the one who had come after. Moses prophesied about him and said, After me comes a prophet from among your brothers, and you must listen to him. And there was never a prophet like Moses until Jesus. The name Joshua or Yeshua means Yahweh saves. And it's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to manifest the salvation, the saving nature and character of our God. God declared his character 
and Jesus demonstrated it. Robert, you come and play something? Hosea 6.3 says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And Paul, who surely knew Jesus, cries out in Philippians 3.10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a knowledge of God that I believe every one of you possesses. And there's a call to a deeper knowledge that I want to issue to all of us this morning. That you might go from the true but incomplete knowledge that you have now to a deeper, more complete, more intimate, more satisfying knowledge of God. It says in 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, that is Jesus, when we see him, we shall be made like him because we shall see him as he is. So this morning, I'm calling upon your eyes of faith to look at the Son of God. He's available to your vision, not your physical eyes, but your, your eyes of faith that you might see him more completely as he is, suffering for sin. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's how God is. What was the joy? That you might know him. <laughs> if there would be a collected company of people that know him, he would be satisfied. He would feel well recompensed for all the evils of the world because this is what he's after. This morning, if you've never known God and would like to begin this new year in relationship with him, I would love to help you get started. Some of you have known God for a long time, but your relationship with him has grown stale. Today, right now, it's time to press in and to press on to know him. If that's you, I want you to come up here and ask God to move in a fresh way in your heart. Maybe you're in a great place with God today, but you need help bringing other people to know God. I want to invite you to come up here as well. I, my goal is not just that you should know him, but that you should become effective in bringing other people to know him as well. Effective in presenting the person of Jesus to those that don't really know him. And if you want an anointing, to reach people who don't know God with the knowledge of God that you have. Come on. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.